0: Welcome into his frequency. Enter at your own risk. Come be at peace with
1: me, Baxter Paul, Will we rise and don't fall? Welcome back to another episode of Baxter's Buzz. I am your host, Baxter E Hall. Welcome to my brain. Welcome to my frequency. Enter at your own risk. Now, today I have a special guest, a returning guest. She was gracious enough uh, to join me early on. She didn't even know who I was. Um, (laughs) She is the executive director and founder of the STEM Greenhouse. Uh, It's a nonprofit that does after school programming, summer academies, uh, and and much more. But also, uh, she's an advocate of Black founded nonprofits. And we'll get into that a bit more in a bit. Dr. Kelly Christopher. Dr. Kelly, welcome back to Baxter's Buzz. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah. So um, we wanted to talk about uh contributors to Black history. And I always think it's it's nice to mix it up when we, because there's so many folks to choose right. from, but we can sometimes get in the habit of like, going with like the same old same old right I mean even my first grader and fourth grader you know the stuff that they're writing the stuff that it's it's like okay we've we've heard about this you know um but you had an idea that I thought was interesting um where we would take a figure that that we all kind of hear about um in February of no and no other um month but but then sort of take a, a different vantage point on it so the, the person that we're talking about is Martin Luther King Jr. But uh, we're we're looking at one of his quotes uh, specifically and we're going to kind of peel the layers back on that. So thank you for bringing that unique sort of perspective on someone that we may feel like we know, but we, we still have a lot to learn about him as well.
0: Yeah, I think that generally in history, history only sees what they want to see. You know what I mean? We don't we don't get the full. Um, context of everything that that person believed because we just edit you know the historians edit what uh what that you know so MLK has been edited by historians that's just the reality and so we don't know the full breadth of what he believed in um just because we don't get a full picture of it
1: yeah and and just like most people we got layers to us and for someone so famous you know it's like it has to fit into our vision the the these tiny sound bites and sort of the message that we are trying to communicate right because mm-hmm. um he was much more than um the i have a dream exactly speaker right
0: yeah he's he gave so many speeches but every quote comes from like that one speech um, because like you said, that's the message that the his history wants to present. And, um, so, yeah, I thought it would be kind of neat to look at a couple of, you know, some quotes that he had that were just, some, you know, maybe we didn't really, uh, um, dissect as much.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and one that resonates with you, um, and myself, but specifically you, because of the work that you do every day. Let me just let me just read it and then we'll we can kind of jump into it. So um, philanthropy is commendable, but it must not cause the philanthropist to overlook the circumstances of economic injustice, which make philanthropy necessary. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's a that's a lot. Yeah, and you know I think
0: finally we're sort of coming to terms with this that. Okay there's a reason that there's so much inequity. You know, it it you know it's an inequitable system and then the people at the top with all the power and all the resources of the 99% you know turn around and like oh little no, let me see for you the rest of you how I'm going to parse out my you know here's 5% of my will riches and wealth and everything um and make you tur- you know we have to jump over hoops jump through hoops to get your little 5% of your you have so much abundance and excess, but, um, you know, why is that? W- were you able to amass that wealth by doing things that were not, um, uh, that maybe were inhumane, that were unethical? Um, were you taking advantage of people and they're with lower wages and whatnot, so that you could amass wealth? So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of pieces that, um, that I found going through, um as a non-profit you know seeking resources from organizations and even though you know a lot of times the people on the ground have all the expertise the people who give out the money tell us what we we're supposed to do you know if you want this money you have to do this if you want this money we need you to do that and um those of us who are on the ground are sitting around like wow this is crazy you know <laughs> you know that they um are not even really recognizing that the reason that they have this wealth is not because they know more than us it's just you know it's they've just been blessed <laughs> to be in that position to have that
1: wealth and if if and if you want to contribute and make an impact um truly maybe this foundation or not this foundation, but maybe this nonprofit that you, that you are contributing to, maybe they got it figured out. Maybe they know a little bit more about this than you you do. And, 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 you know, I know that things have to check certain boxes, especially when you talk about these larger foundations um, or these donors, they have to sort of fit inside of this box. But I think we need to bust those boxes open.
0: Yes. (laughs) Well, and that's the thing. A lot of times, nonprofits are put in a position. When you're in a powerless position, you just tend to, okay, whatever you want. I'm, you know, um, so for example, a really large foundation, they told me, well, we only give money for early childhood education, and that they're not alone. There's a lot of organizations that only want to support young children. And it's but I have to to come back at them and say, why, why won't you support a middle school student or a high school student? Is it because they look so cute when they're three years old and five years old and all your pictures and you're willing to give to black children when they're little. But when they're 12 years old now, they are a threat and you can't Mm -hmm. you know, I've had there was an organization. They donate food to kids after school. We we stopped giving in the sixth grade. Why? Like well, this makes no sense. We just don't support middle and high school kids. They eat more than anybody. So right. why can't I, you know, but you're not gonna you only give to little kids. But again, that's that mentality. These are these are generally white people, and that's just what that's well. We don't have enough for everybody, so we're only gonna do the little kids. Is that really why? You know, you have to start asking yourself why? Why, why are these systems in place? There's no logical reason that you can't feed a child that's 12 13 years old. This is just your, you know, this is your mindset, your beliefs. And um, you know, I like I said this has happened to me so many times. Like I can't tell you how many foundations only like little kids, you know. Mm. But but the reality is they're afraid of the black teenager. Mm. And they, you know, they they don't they're, they're not as cute. They don't want to put them on their website. Mm. So um you know, but most organizations won't even challenge them on, on that. They'll yeah. just say, "Okay, I guess, I guess we just won't support middle and high school students. We'll only support little kids." You know, or they'll say, "Well, we stop
1: in the third grade. We don't support over third grade."
0: Why? This makes no sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, when when we, um, my uh, friends and I started our nonprofit in 2020, um, Catalyst for Change. We had a number of things that we wanted to accomplish. And we we knew a few folks who were part of like the, the donor world, the foundation world. And we got some really um interesting feedback and we were victims to it um as well, Dr. Kelly, where we they said, Well, have you thought about this or have you and they were taking sort of our vision. And trying to help, right? But really changing our purpose. Exactly. Well, see, and
0: that is one of the problems. And I've had this too. I've had people of color come to me and say, you know, well, Kelly, why don't you work with a white organization? They'll give the white organization the money and then you can like sub. No, I should be able to, I'm the expert. I should be able to go to that foundation and get money. I shouldn't have to go through a white organization to get resources. I shouldn't have to change my mission to get resources. These people don't even know. You know, if you have never educated a black child, you've never been a black child, you don't know what that black child needs. Um how are you going to tell me well i'm only going to support this sort of thing or you know it's it's so annoying but the but unfortunately most people in uh that are in nonprofits don't push back and that's one of the reasons also that black nonprofits suffer because you know we may not have a big donor that gets us started with a million dollar donation you know we we're working on teeny little dollar amounts and um you know again the way that philanthropy kind of, you know, the way that philanthropy, philanthropy works is generally um, it's white people giving money to white people to fix black and brown people.
1: Mm.
0: And then nothing changes. You know, in Grand Rapids, there's an organization that has measured um, the outcomes for for all the races and stuff, like in health and um, e- economy and stuff. Nothing has changed for black and brown people in my community in the last 10 years and millions of dollars have been poured into this community, but they're pouring it into the same organizations. And even the state of Michigan, um, the government funding, I was talking to um, some people that work for state government because my programming does not get funded by the state. But there are certain reasons why. So, for example, um, they prioritize organizations that have a child care license. Why? Okay this is an after school program for middle school and high school kids and we do this programming in the schools that they're in the school doesn't have a child care license why are you pri- so so basically all the money ends up going to the YMCA the boys and girls club these white savior organizations they're not designed to educate kids so you want learning outcomes i said keep funding that because you're going to keep getting the same outcomes. If you're funding the Boys and Girls Club, and I'm not, you know, that's not a horrible organization or anything, but what you're funding is Open Gym, okay? You're not funding the math and science that they need to learn because the people there, that's not what that organization has been designed to do.
1: Right. So,
0: um, you know, if, if but I said, that's fine. If, just go out and say, we are, this is not about learning, this This is about recreation and go ahead and give your grant, but don't say that you want kids to learn and only fund organizations that are offering sports after
1: school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I, there's a need for it all, right? There's a need for a safe space and uh, working at the boys and girls club. I know you were just using them as an example, but I got to defend them a little bit, (laughs) right? You know, because, the, the the um children need a need a safe space to go to, um, but yeah that's not well
0: let's let me put it this way in Grand Rapids there have been multiple Black people who have tried to start after school recreational centers for children to have a safe space they never get any support and meanwhile white people will come in what now have you ever seen Black people go into a white community and build a community center and start and start um you know mentoring little white kids it's it's ridiculous but that's what white people do to us and then they expect us to thank them for it and um you know we we have such a you know a mindset that only white people know how to manage buildings and resources so we couldn't possibly give that money to like these were black people with phds college professors it didn't matter we won't give you the money we would rather give it to some white social workers who will come and give them a safe space why can't we provide the safe space right. why can't that be our safe space why do we have to depend on organizations that are in where white people are in charge where white people have all the control in order for our kids to be mentored.
1: Yeah, no. That the you're, same you're amount of
0: resources much. should be given to people of color to have their own um community centers in their communities.
1: That's right. That's right. Um I was um fortunate enough to uh, be asked to to uh, go into one of the elementary schools where I grew up uh this mm-hmm. week and um the principal at the elementary school we grew up together and um she said she uh, a white woman she said, Baxter, this is so important because everybody that they see for the most part in this in this building are white women. Mm-hmm. you know they need to see black people um doing things doing things <laughs> you exactly
0: know? well, you know, in um research has shown that all children learn best from someone who is similar in a similar demographic group, meaning a white female will learn best from a white female, a black male will learn best from a black male. If 85% of the teachers are white female, is it any surprise that black males have the lowest outcomes, achievement outcomes in academics? We're not giving them an equal footing. So in the work I do, so for example, in my summer academy, we have you know, 50 students, five black male teachers. In the Grand Rapids Public Schools, there's 14,000 students, 14 black male teachers. Only 5% of black students in Kent County are proficient in math. The work that I do, like in my summer academy, the average student, um, they improve two grade levels in math computations in the five weeks of the program. Two grade levels. Wow. Does don't you see how much more powerful it would be to empower people of color to educate and and um, serve their own people? But because we because we are just inherently racist, even black people don't think black people get money. I'll I'll be talking to black people at these organizations, and they're afraid to give me money. Yeah, (laughs) you know,
1: yeah, because we
0: don't think that we can handle it. Mm-hmm. But really, what are you? What like you know? There's no risk, or there's we certainly cannot do as bad of a job as the system that is set up right now.
1: Right. When you talk about measuring impact, and no real tangible um, improvement has been made, millions then, of
0: dollars just waste. Try
1: something. Yeah. Try try something else. Try something else. Um. So I'm looking at this quote, and there's a there's a piece. Um. Really speaks to what we've been talking about um but it must not cause the philanthropist to overlook the circumstances of injustice which make philanthropy necessary right exactly. uh-huh. um how when you when you hear that piece the uh-huh. the like t- like what what comes to mind and and just, well, yeah. I could
0: just I could just imagine Martin Luther King Jr. because he's talking to a lot of wealthy white people, you know, and they they really do want to help, um, but at the same time they're not always willing to, um, like he said, okay, what are the circumstances that cause the injustice? I think that a lot of times people just, I mean, I know in their logical mind they don't think it, but if you have these discrepancies, these big, okay, the white students have this in black students have this white students are achieving here, black students are achieving here. The reason they're not achieving in their mind really is just that they think these kids are inferior. Now they mm-hmm. won't say it out loud, but the reality is oh we expect the black children to do worse. but what why is that? why why can't that discrepancy is our fault, okay? Mm-hmm. It's not the kids' fault. these children are not inferior. Now there may be some situations that we cannot I mean we can't do everything for every child. But um, there's a lot that we can do. And I really wish that um, instead of us just twiddling our thumbs, okay, well, we're going to do a five year research project to see if, you know, this classroom of kids gets better. What if we just invested in people who are already doing good work? Mm -hmm. You know, people who are like, you know, I tell folks, I can't believe I've been able to make the impact I've been able to make on the little bitty money and resources that I've had at my disposal. It's um, it's because I'm just you know, I have a Ph.D. in engineering. I know what is needed for a child to do well in a STEM career. But most people who are doing STEM, they're not people of color or they're not engineers or scientists. Like, how can you, pre, you know, how can you um, come into a school and talk to a black child and say, become an engineer when you've never done the work yourself? You know what yeah. I mean? It means something coming from somebody who's actually done it. My students see me and they know that they can do what I did because I'm no different than, you know, them.
1: Right. Right. Um,
0: Yeah. You have to see, see that. And it's important. So for people to not recognize that, you know, and I was in my situation with philanthropy, um, you know, there was specific money for STEM for children of color. And I was not given that money. The money went to white social workers. Even though I have a PhD in engineering and I'm a black woman, this money is for STEM education for children of color. The money is still going to white organizations that are not even STEM organizations. Why is that? Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. our system is set up. So, for example, in this particular grant, um, these organizations were outscoring me on diversity, equity and inclusion. Well, why? Well, that's because they took a diversity training and I didn't. I told him I could have given the diversity training. You know what I'm saying? But the reality is I told the foundation, because, again, you have to just challenge the foundation. I said, listen, yeah. you're not expecting people of color to even ask for money. So instead of um giving points and scoring high for someone's lived experience as a person yeah. of color, you're scoring for diversity training. So somebody's hour and a half of diversity training, my whole life of getting a trying to get a phd in a in a field dominated by white men but you think they know what they're doing and then you keep funding that and guess what no results year after year no results and you just sit around next time around you give them a little more money yeah. it doesn't make any sense <laughs> yeah. but um, that's why nothing is changing and that's part of the things why it you know like that quote says. What are the circumstances that led to the injustice in the first place? Right. And part of it is to see your own piece in that too. Philanthropy has to see, okay, we're part of the problem too. They think they're just helping all the time, but they're starting to realize, wow, our giving has actually increased inequity. Mm. <laughs> that's That's wow. the reality.
1: So, and I know that you are probably more outspoken than most. In this field, um, and I know that it's probably—I mean, maybe at one point, it, I don't know how, how, how uh, apprehensive you get these days. I'm sure at some point, at the beginning, you were more apprehensive <laughs> when you kind of were starting to examine and 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 fundraise and try to figure out what you needed to to really make an impact with these children, and you were having these meetings and getting in front of these potential donors. What changed for you when you decided to say, I'm going to push back a bit more. I'm going to challenge them a bit more. I'm going to try to give them my perspective because they probably haven't heard it. Exactly.
0: Well, you know, part of it is, and I will just tell you, cause when I first started kind of challenging the system, people of color came to me and said, Kelly, you know, you don't want to be perceived as the angry black woman. Um, if you do this, you might lose out on some opportunities. You know, you, you don't, I mean, and these people cared about me, but sure. they have, but Black people, successful people of color have been able to become successful by not threatening the white power structure, by only making minor little, you know, incremental, tiny changes that keep everybody comfortable, not being willing to have difficult conversations. And so um really what happened and it was um you know partly after sometimes i'd be denied for grants and things and actually in the case of this particular situation with the united way where we had this interchange about um the you know diversity and not getting credit for lived experience they had raised money using videos of me they had me in their capital campaign they didn't get permission to use these videos But they use money, they use me. And when I say they use me, I was the main person talking in these videos. So at the end, I was like, you could take me off of your YouTube channel and your website, helping you raise money. But when I try to ask for the money, I'm not qualified to get it. Um, Mm -hmm. But because again, they want to put the people of color out there. They want to put black children out there. They want people to see that on their website. But behind the scenes, All the people that are getting the money are white and it's not, um, you know, and they might be well-meaning white people, but it doesn't make it fair. And so really, you know, what really changed for me was the whole George Floyd thing. And I just said, these people are not, they don't care about us. You know, they say they do, because after that, everybody was all, oh, we're supportive of, you know, black people and diversity is at the core of our organization. And I said, no, where's the money? So we me and a friend who's a (laughs) Latina, we um, started looking through their tax returns or, you know, when they file taxes, all nonprofits and foundations have to file their taxes. And we found that among all the top foundations, ninety seven ninety six percent of the money was going to white organization four percent was going to black brown yellow red we all fighting for four percent mm. the majority of the money is going into the same hands but i told him if you go to your website you would think all you do is give people of color money because that's all you show on your website your mm. marketing does not reflect who you're giving the money to and believe me they were mad at first, okay? They hated me. I even gave a talk at a at a conference about why you shouldn't give money to these, you know, local philanthropy like the United Way, these community foundations. Basically, I was saying, I don't care if you ever give me any money, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm just gonna expose you in all your dirt. Um, but it has, but it made it started making a change because they still didn't want that bad publicity. And internally, they were starting to wonder, OK, maybe we do need to make some changes. There are people of color in these organizations. Sure. They thought they were doing fine because there are black people been working there 30 years. Still won't give money to black people. Yeah, how is, how is this? It, it makes no sense. But um, once again, you know, so if nobody challenges them, I challenge them because. One, like, I, you know, when you're at rock bottom, I didn't have any money anyway. I didn't have anything to lose. Like I was going to say, what are they going to do? Stop giving me money. <laughs> they, they haven't given me anything. So I might as well just put it out there. But as I did that, other black foundations, I mean, black organizations, black nonprofits started reaching out to me like, wow, this happens to me too. Every time I do that, you know, they want me to change things. They want me to do things their way. They, think, You know, um, and then that's just to get a little bit of money all this work for $5,000, you know, these black people are, they have to work full-time jobs. They can't even dedicate themselves to their cause because um, they get so little donations. Yeah. And um, even myself, I just, re- you know, um, ask people to support black nonprofits during black history month um, because even an organization like mine, that's been around for almost a decade last year, I had 56 donors, individuals, mm. I can't sustain a nonprofit. This is why black nonprofits aren't successful, you know? Um, But people will give to, oh, this organization, they provide meals for the homeless. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that. But at some point we got to do more than just provide meals. We're going to have to start educating kids so that they can get themselves out of poverty. But we don't want to address those structural problems in schools. So for example... I work in schools that don't have science teachers. Middle schools, high schools, um, their math instruction is horrible. I'm t- our organization now is teaching science during the school day to all the sixth, seventh, and eighth graders at three middle schools. Wow! The, the school district has given me ten thousand dollars. Now this don't this doesn't make any sense, right? So I have to go around begging. So that they, these kids have a science instruction because right now all they have is a video subscription. The kids watch videos for science,
1: mm. and they're in middle school. Wow, this makes wow. no
0: sense. Who learns from a bunch of videos? They could do that themselves, just going on YouTube. What right. if you have a question? Nobody to answer your question. No science teacher. Just a computer lab, and you put on the headphones and watch videos, and that's that's what that's good enough for these black kids. But would it be good enough for their kids?
1: Mm.
0: No, it's not. So, um, yeah. So now that also meant that I had to kind of, I had to kind of expose the school district too, and that put me in a interesting position with them. You know, they don't want people to know that they don't have science teachers. They don't want to know that black and brown children, you know, they're not doing well in math. But it's not only because, you know, um, they're stupid. They don't have the instructors. They don't have the. They don't have any supplies. We're bringing in microscopes. We're bringing in the things that they can use to dissect. Why? Why should we have to do that? Well, if you don't have any science teacher, what's the point of having microscopes? What's the point in doing dissections?
1: Right. Oh wow, that's I can't believe that they don't have.
0: It, I said, this is in the 21st century, not having a science education really puts you behind. OK, That's how right. are you going to be ready for college? This uh, th- this type of inequity, unfortunately, we have school districts and systems who just don't want the world to know that how bad it is. So they just don't say it, you know, like so if I just, you know, I'll be up for it and I'll say, listen, only five percent of the black students in our whole county are proficient in math. That should be enough for people to start doing something different. Not just say, well, guess we need to get more teachers. They ain't coming. You know what I'm saying? Until you get the teachers back up to where they used to be, there's not any teachers, we need to do something different. I'm not a teacher. I'm an engineer, but I can teach science. I can teach math. We need to get creative about how we go about um, making sure that all children have access to a quality math and science education. That's right. We can't just keep waiting for who are we waiting for? It's it, been 20 it, years.
1: If if we examine the, the money that, you know, the money my wife and I spend at home, or if we spend it, you know, on the kids or on cable mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever subscriptions we have. Um, folks do that privately. Uh if I'm a CEO of a company and I looking at my budget and where my expenses, I was sitting in the board meeting this week. We looked at profit and loss statements, right? We said, okay, well, why is this so high? Why was this so much higher than it was last year, right? I mean, we're everyone, everyone's examining these, these things. We have objectives. If you continue to put this money in, in, uh, in here, if you if you continue to put this money in the same spot, and you're not getting the ROI. No, no other place in your, in your, in, in any other place in your life, would you allow this to continue exactly. the same way?
0: No, but for some reason with education, we do that. We just say, well, you know, like they'll say, we only certified teachers can teach. And I say, well, you know what? Um, so look, I looked at the laws. As long as a certified teacher is in the room, we can come in there with a, a scientist who will teach science, okay? Mm-hmm. But but unfortunately, most people are not creative that way. They just sit, you know, oh, I talked to um, the one of the school districts there, um, CFO, and I said, they because they do have science teachers, but they're always at the schools with the most white children. And I asked him, why aren't these students, I mean, these teachers at the, at the urban schools? And he says, that's because they don't want to work there, and we can't force them to work there. They'll just get wow. another job. And I said, well, that's why you need to, um, I said, part of that is because you're not paying them enough. Working with children who are basically traumatized from poverty is hard. You know, it's not the same. You know, kids, it's not when you have a child who doesn't have their food, they don't have lights, they don't have everything they need at home. They act a different way sometimes. You need to, we need to compensate these people who are willing to work with these children. And they said, well, we can't. Our union agreements say that we have to pay everybody the same. And I say, well, why don't you partner with my organization? Because I can pay them a stipend, a bonus for staying at this urban school and they're like oh yeah i guess you can't bese-. but they don't think like that yeah <laughs> you know it's like you yeah. have to again we have to do different things nobody wants to do the different thing everybody's waiting for somebody else to be successful and have a 10 year track record you know before they're willing to invest in it yeah so yeah. um Yeah, I'm all about pushing the boundaries. Like, I'm going to make a way. Okay. So it it is sort of funny, though, um, (laughs) because most people are not used to people challenging the system. They're like, Well,
1: well, kudos to you. Your passion is evident. And again, when you're starting at the bottom, what do you have to lose? You know, you're, but it sounds like you're starting to see some, fruits yeah. of of all this hard work and this advocacy that you you've been doing um speaking of so you know february is black history month you are clearly working you and your organization working towards um educating and providing resources for like the next contributors of black history and 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 i salute you for that but also Got to give you a little love and a little credit talking about, because you kind of, you know, you're making your own <laughs> history. You've already made your own history. So uh, Dr. Kelly Christopher is the third Black woman in the world. Tell me if I'm getting this wrong That's
0: That's sad truth. Third
1: <laughs> Black woman in the world to earn a PhD in agricultural engineering. Yeah,
0: that's true. Yep, so I... You know, so these spaces are so... Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. wait.
1: (laughs) Just let me just read this again. Uh, Third (laughs) Black woman in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. PhD in agricultural engineering. Yep. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. When I started graduate school, I could count the Black men on one hand. You know, it was... There's just not a lot of us. And the reality is that the world is getting more Black and brown Ever since 2014, there have been more uh, children of color than white children in America's schools. So if that's the case, you know, we're not very far from um, being in a situation where they're just the, uh, the minority is the majority. If we are only worri- worried about the education of white children in their schools, we're gonna be in trouble. We're not gonna have all the people we need to remain competitive as a country. So this is um, something that businesses have to invest in for their own sustainability. They already can't find enough people to work there. And this, they got to scour the whole earth to find engineers, scientists, medical doctors. It's time to start um, educating children of color, giving them the same resources that we want for our kids, you know. Poor kids need the same resources. And so yeah, it is, you know, when I was um getting my PhD, and that, you know, of course you're going to experience a lot of racism. Um, but it's funny that, that that the the challenge that was getting a PhD is it's like I'm fighting the same systems now. But um, it has also I told people it's like you know you get the you're working out that muscle that challenging muscle. I'm going to challenge the way things are constantly. And so the work I do now, surprisingly, I mean it's no it's sort of like when I was getting my PhD. You know, every time I take a new class, people don't think I deserve to be there. I have to prove myself. So now I'm in philanthropy. People think, well, wh- who- why are you coming to me? I have to prove myself. I have to, you know, it's that work. And, you know, the the challenge of um, being in that situation has prepared me for the work I do now.
1: Yeah, you've definitely been building up that muscle memory for sure. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> doesn't sound like you slowing down either. Uh... Um, she is the executive director and founder of STEM Greenhouse. Um, an advocate of Black-founded nonprofits, an advocate of just equitable, like equity um, yes. overall. Um, yeah. I, I would say, and um, a, a, a continuing contributor of of Black histories. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for the work that STEM uh, Greenhouse does, and um, just kudos and and and. For everyone that's in a similar situation or find themselves with similar frustrations, um, no, it won't be easy, but it can it can get done. And I know that you're seeing fruits of, of that labor. And I, I would encourage other folks who are watching us or listening to this to continue on and continue to fight for um for our children, our community, and our future.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Okay.
1: So, uh, on behalf of Dr. Kelly, I am Baxter e. Hall. This has been uh, a great episode, and uh, for those out there, just know that you are definitely capable. Just continue and uh, embrace your own frequency. So, okay. until next time, peace.
0: All right, bye bye. <laughs> Welcome into his brain. Welcome into his frequency. Into at your own risk. Come be a.
1: Be, ask the Paul, will we rise and don't fall?